This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is August 8th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Penelope Owens, and I was at Hofstra Radio from 88 to 90. Okay. Uh, do you remember any of the shows or programs that you worked on at the station? Yeah, my favorite was Just Jazz, because um, I'm a really big jazz fan, so I did Just Jazz. And I also was, um, we had a se- I had a segment on my own called Ask Katie you know, named after Kate Hofstra, you know, Kate and Willie Hofstra, who lived at So I was asked Katie, and what I would do is I would go to get a topic, and I would go to, like, I think it was the Bicycle Club, and I went to the head of the social, um, was it sociology department, and he was, and he was in charge of the bike department, so then I would, you know, interview him and come back and edit it and say, Oh, Katie, you know, dear Katie, do you know anything about the bicycle department? And then that, that interview would play. So people would write in for my advice. Um, I still give great advice today, but <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. So it was Ask Katie. I did Just Jazz. I did do at the very beginning when I was there. I did classics because those were on all morning until about 2. Right. And segment from 2 to 3, which I don't remember. And then from 3 o'clock, I believe, to like 7 was the jazz. Yes, yes, good memory on the uh, on the daily program. Like I'm, I'm still my my mouth is hanging open here that you are ask Katie. Yes, and I was. <laughs> I was just a little bit behind you. I was there from ninety to ninety four, and I remember. I think our entire time there, there were so many photocopies of the Ask Katie poster that we use those or the backs of them. Uh, for a long time, and and we'd always say, "Well, who was this? Who did this show? What was it?" And I, I, uh, no one ever gave me an answer in the four years I was there. So now, uh, yeah, I'm I'm agog. I'm gonna have to ask you more questions about that. But, but uh, okay. we'll, let's let's come back. Um, did you ever work on any of the weekend shows? Any of the community uh, volunteer programs? No, I know there was out behind the barn. Mm-hmm. And there was P5, I believe, too. But no, I didn't do any. I was a commuter student, so I really wasn't there a lot on the weekend. Usually on the weekend, you're doing all those tons of homework and the tons of reading they gave you. Right. Um, and I worked, too. I worked at JCPenney for like five years. Um, so I worked on the weekend. And then during the week, of course, I was there doing the library thing. And then I was only doing jazz, I think, twice a week in the afternoon. But I never did a weekend show. Okay. Um, did you have any titles or positions at the station? Yes, I was um, chief announcer. Okay. Um, when you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or personas, or did you use your own name? I used my own name, not my last name. It was just Penelope. Yeah, I didn't use any. I didn't have any um, cute nicknames. I probably should have thought of one, but I didn't. I didn't. It was just my name. Some people are really good at figuring those things out. It always felt like a lot of pressure to me. I could never yes, come up right. with something. So correct. Um, yeah. All right. Um, okay. So let's go to the beginning of your time at Hofstra Radio. This is a two-part question and answer, however it makes sense to you. But I always want to know what brought people to the radio station to begin with, and then if you could paint a picture of the station when you first got there, if you remember people that you met or what it looked like or what it smelled like, what was going on when you arrived at the station? Well, 
what brought me there was I am a radio junkie. I love radio from a kid because when my my um my dad when I was at home with him because he worked nights. So before I attended school, I was home with him and my mother was at work. So what he would do is you could watch Sesame Street and Electric Company, and you know those are the most educational shows mm-hmm. around back then. Um, he would say to me, you could watch that, but then we're putting on the radio. And my grandfather was the same way. So I've always been radio, radio, radio. So when I got to Austria, I'm like, oh, I have to join the radio station, which did not happen until I was about in my junior year, because I think that it intimidated me a little bit. The whole, the whole thing just intimidated mm. me a little bit. But then I went in, um, I started taking the announcing classes um, then I got on the air. I did engineering classes as well because you had to pass the engineering classes in order to get that FCC license, which I still have today. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. And then the second part of the question, um, when you walked in there, it was at the basement of Memorial Hall. I don't know where it was when you started. Same. Same. Oh, it yeah. was there. Okay. So the basement and upstairs was Bits and Bites. Yeah. And Bits and Bites. So you got the smell from Bits and Bites. And then you walk in the hall and you see these big, big water bugs. I mean, mm-hmm. huge. And sometimes they would be walking around the um, the the hallway. And then when I went into the actual radio state radio room, Jeff Krause was in the corner, and it was just these old gray desks. It looked like a regular newsroom, not even a radio station to me. It looked like a newsroom. There was papers all over everything. There was posters on the wall. There wasn't that many people there when I went, but now that as I got more into the station, then that's where a lot of people would come in at certain parts of the day. Because between classes, a lot of people would hang out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it just a, like the smell, like I said, the smell from bits and bites. That's what I remember. Whatever they were cooking that day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it all comes rushing back when you when you think about that. Um, I, I want to go back to two things that you said, but let's let's focus on. Uh, you said growing up, the radio was mm-hmm. always on. Yeah. What were you listening to? Do you remember the stations? What were what was your dad listening to? Um, what were the things that really stuck in your memory? Um, what was the blues? Dad mm-hmm. loved the blues. He was a big BB King, Bobby Blue Bland fan, mm-hmm. and we also listened to WKTU. Um, that was the station, that was the New York City station then, um, that was playing Urban Contemporary. And also, I liked um, Don Imus, and it was the Z Morning Zoo, and the Z100s, and that, they found, I think that's when they came into prominence. But it yeah. was mostly, for me, it was the blues, R&B, and what we now call Yacht Rock, which <laughs> I am a huge fan of that. Um, I still call it easy listening, and I still call it um, soft rock. But now mm-hmm. that satellite radio came in and called it yacht rock, um, so that's what I, you know, which I'm a, that's out of all of it, yacht rock that is my favorite, and then urban contemporary. But I also love the jazz. So, but for my dad, it was jazz and blues. For me, it was the soft rock and the urban contemporary. Um, when you were home listening to the radio with your dad, did you ever get to choose or was it always his, uh, decision? Oh no, I chose. He let me okay. choose. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, in my household that we, we had the, the radio on a lot as well. And my, uh, uh, my dad always liked to listen to the oldies and that he usually got his way once in a while we'd get, 
our choice, which might have been WPLJ or Z100, but mostly it was it was his choice. Um, my second question is, um, again, multi-part here. What were you studying at Hofstra, and what was it that finally got you down to the radio station in your junior year? I was studying communication arts. I believe they still call it that there. And I, had, I was a double major, communication arts and sociology. And then what finally got me there was, um, it was just me. It was just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I want to do this. I want to be on the radio. I want to see what it's all about. And I got down there, and I think it was at that point they were doing the announcing classes. Mm-hmm. And I believe the person teaching was Paige Bitgood. And then there was, um, I forgot who was teaching the engineering classes. But, um, yeah, so that's how I got into it. I took those classes because I think that's what you had to do because no mm-hmm. one could get on the air unless you took those classes. Right, right. Now, as, as for finally making the decision to walk down there, did you, did you know much about the radio station or just that it existed? Did you just walk down to the basement one day and walk into the office and say, hey, I would like to do this? How did that go? I had all the friends who were interested, so we all went. Mm. Uh, but it was more of a, yeah, go down to the station to see what it's all about. Um, and then I did have communication classes. And in those classes, the radio station was mentioned. Okay. So I said, you know, I'm going to do this. Let me just go see what this is all about. But again, like I said before, it was intimidating, but that fell off after a while. Right. Right. Do you remember any of the friends that you went down to the station with? Did any of them stick with the station? Um, they did at the time it was, um, the one person that stuck out with me was, um, Dawn D'Angelo. Um, she did, um, and Ryan Williams, um, was there and Ethan Dreilinger, Andrew Smertz. There was a lot of people who, and some of them I'm still in touch with today, Jason Levy, um, Steve Goldman by then he was known as Peaches, but name is Steve Goldman. But uh, those are the people, they didn't come with me, but those are the people who we all became a family. Um, but, um, I just, I think there was two girls I came downstairs with. Um, and I, and we all became part of the station and yes, they did stick with the station. Oh, good. Good. Um, do you remember anything from those announcing or engineering classes that stuck with you or a piece of good advice? Well, they always used to have us do that Thelonious Thistle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that tongue twister that you had to learn. Um, so that stood out for me for the um, announcing classes, like Thelonious Thistle, because the TH, you had to get that TH because the tongue has to be between the teeth. And I continued with um, voiceover and announcing when I left, and I continued to take classes in it. Um, so the one thing I always remember was that tongue twister and the engineering class. I don't have any memories of that. It was just really learning the board, which again was intimidating at first. Um, but eventually I learned it and got cleared and got on the air. Hmm. Hmm. Very good. Um, once you go through those classes, um, you get on the air for the first time. And I ask people if they remember getting on the air the first time. And if not the specific time, what your feelings were like about getting behind the microphone or behind the board. I felt great about it. At first, I believe you were an engineer for a show. And I, I forgot which show I engineered. It may have been classics. Mm-hmm. But when you finally get on and do the whole thing yourself, I felt a certain kind of power. I felt powerful. That was my... That's the way I felt. And also a sense of accomplishment. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm actually doing what I set out to do. And I'm actually doing this. 
um, what I've heard other DJs do <laughs> on the radio at home. So that was just felt like I felt really good about myself and it was a good sense of accomplishment for me. Oh, that's great. Uh, was your family able to hear you uh, on the air? What was that like? Yes, to a point. There were certain areas of the house that they could go in because, you know, you have to do the antenna and then in yeah. the car. You could hear it in the car because my mom used to listen to the morning show, the house your morning show. And it was just and once she got on a certain part of the southern state, it just went out. Yeah. So, but they were able to hear me. Oh, that's great. That must have been such a such a nice feeling to to know that radio was so important in your family's life. And then there you were on the radio that must have been great yes yeah my dad was happy with it yeah oh very cool um so the uh, next question i ask is uh, you know when when did you feel comfortable on the air it seems like you you had a sense of of being comfortable right away but was there a moment or just a general feeling that yeah i can do this i'm good at this yeah there was um it was about maybe three four months in i felt that you know, this is, uh, yeah, I can do this and I feel comfortable and I can, because you pick the music and everything, but sometimes, you know, Jeff Krause would fall down to the booth mm -hmm. and say, you pronounced something wrong. You did something wrong. It was fine. Like, he was just the best. He was, he was very funny to me. A lot of people like were scared of him, but I, to me, he was just really funny and he, he was great. Hmm. Um, yeah, that is, that is a common theme with Jeff is that he's, uh, uh, Jeff was very intimidating, but once you got to know him, you could understand his sense of humor and what he was trying to get out of students. Uh, the, the understanding changed and you had to, a, a good relationship with him. Do you remember, uh, any particular interactions or just your sense of, of working with Jeff? Oh my God. Yes. He said to me, and I'll never forget this. He said, you, because I want to get into the voiceover game, which we all know is crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and he said to me, he said, you know something? And I'm going to tell you this. He said, you can do this. You can have a career with this. You can. And he said, you go in that booth and you say what you have to say. And you can walk out with $500 in your pocket. And he told, and only, and with him, he let us know what it was going to be like in the quote unquote real world. He did. And he said, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going on in newsrooms today. This is what it's going to look like in the future. He was just really a smart, brilliant man. And his own voice was just phenomenal. Hmm. Um, you can listen to him talk all day. And he was sitting in that corner. He would smoke the pipe. <laughs> and he would also say to you, like he called me, he said, the p correct pronunciation of that word is, you know, and he would call that because after you got off the air and you saw that light, there was that when somebody called the light flash and you mm -hmm. pick it up and it's him, you know, that he was calling to correct you with something. And I took the um, announcing class with him. And he was really good. And he said, you know, you can do this. So I'm going to be a little extra harder on you because he said, your voice is phenomenal. Your voice is terrific. You just have to really get your pronunciation down. You have to, um, you know, all the different things he would just tell me to do. And then there was a commercial I had to do that was in our audio announcing book and I did it and I got an A on it from him. So that was just the best. So he's, I will always, always remember him. 
Wow. What a great feeling to, to get some validation from, from the man, as you mentioned, with that, such an amazing voice and so much experience. Yeah, he was really, <laughs> but like I said, he had, he was funny. He, he yeah. had like a very big sense of humor and very, he was a very, he was a nice person. He wasn't there to make fun of anybody. He wasn't there to be the mean professor. He wanted to see people succeed and he wanted you to know exactly what this business was going to be like. Yeah, it's not for the faint of heart, and a lot of people have said you have to develop a, a tough skin to go into broadcasting for various reasons, because sometimes there are decisions made that have nothing to do with your talent or your hard work that maybe don't work out for you, and I think he was he was trying to prep people in as the best way possible. Yes. Oh, definitely. Um, you mentioned taking a class with him. Was that the, the four-credit class, or is that the, the radio station training class? It was the audio announcing class, and I think you could only be a junior or a senior to get in, and you had to audition to get in. Mm -hmm. And the audition, the line was down the hall, and when I auditioned, he said, because you know what I'm going to say to you, he said, you're in, but you're going to have to do, you're going to have to do the work. I was like, okay, yeah. Oh, it's always hard work around the corner. But um, I, that's the only class I took with him. I think I may have taken the, the one where you learn, I want to say, audio engineering class i think he did right um, was it that, think, yeah uh com 21 the basic two-track production no that was with suziza right okay but he i don't he may have taught it before she was um entrenched in the station but there was another one it might have, it wasn't com 21 it could have been com 20 i know it was 20 something and you had to learn and we had to put on a production you in groups and you had to learn the the um the board the tech board or the right. I can't I can't I can't get the word out. It was an audio board. That's it. So uh, if, if memory serves, uh, when you went down into the basement on the left side was the two track facility. That's where Com Twenty One, and then to the right was the more intricate. Uh, yes. audio production studio so I, maybe in your time it was the four track board i don't know if it was eight tracks yet but that was the class you were talking about with jeff yes it wasn't a track yet you're right hmm. it was the four yes yeah yeah to get into jeff's classes it wasn't just you sign up you had to prove your worth and you had to prove that you had some talent and then once you got in there like you said you had to work hard because the expectation was high yes um and i'm wondering if uh, there was anything that, uh, I, I guess it's that, that sense of high expectations and you had gotten to know Jeff and said, well, he expects you to perform at a certain level. And I'm just wondering if there was any, uh, anecdote or any instance where he kind of said to you, you know, you can do better than this or, or you're doing really well, or you're, you're meeting expectations. Yes. He would say, this is what you need to work on, but this is also what you're doing very well. Okay. So it wasn't just criticism, but no, it was also no. that sort of reward exactly. thing. Exactly. No, it wasn't all criticism. Maybe it could have been that for other people, but no, not for me. Okay. Um, in terms of, you mentioned a number of names, a number of great names and people I've spoken to and people I know earlier that were there when you were at the station. Was Were you able to fit in socially right away? Did it take some time? And again, was there a moment where you thought, okay, I'm going to be spending a lot of time at this place? Um, when I first got there, I knew I'd be spending a lot of time there, but a lot of us, I didn't feel 
really like comfortable, comfortable till like toward the end of junior year. And then I started going to, um, we had like award ceremonies at the mm-hmm. different places around Hempstead Turnpike, like one at the Marriott. And then there was another place in Glenwood Landing where we had, um, we went and had like the RHU dinner. I went to RHU dinner and then there was another, uh, what do you call it? Um, award ceremony. So right after that, and we all had fun there, then you knew, oh, yeah, I'm a part of this group now. You have that feeling that you now belong, and I am a member of the family. Mm. Mm. And then you probably spent that that summer between junior and, and senior years. Were you working at the station during that summer? Yes. There was, I think I only worked there one summer, but yes. And then I would work when um, on school breaks, at Thanksgiving break. But, you know, the radio continues. It doesn't stop just because it's holidays or breaks. Right. So, yeah, so I would be because I was here on Long Island where other people went, you know, flew home. So I would work Thanksgiving. I'd work to Christmas and I did work one summer. Yes. All right. Um, so I've been dying to ask. I want to get back to it. So how does Ask Katie become a thing did you do you remember proposing that did you propose it to jeff or the program director at the time how did that come out come about to be a thing no i just uh how did that come about i believe it was a collaboration with suzeza um it was something i thought of and she goes oh yeah we could do this with it and then you could ask people and people could write in because at the end of the segment we gave the address so you could write in if you had a question for katie but a lot of the questions I had already, um, there were topics I'd already interviewed people about. So no one really asked Katie, but I made it sound like they asked Katie. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, so but yeah, I remember Suze's, uh, um having something to do with that. And then I would just make sure that the segments were in before I had to, you know, we went on vacation or whatever, because you wanted to get some evergreens in there so that way people can just throw them in if they need something to play were these part of the morning show or were there their, their own standalone program it wasn't a standalone program you could put you could throw it in as part of a show for the segment i think the segments were a minute i want to say um or maybe okay. under a minute but that yeah they would just oh you can ask katie this and then they would and then i had to edit it down to whatever how time i've got the time frame it was but you would just put it in and it was part of the log. It was put in the log, but it wasn't its own mm-hmm. like hour, half hour show. No. Oh, okay. Okay. Interesting. So it could air at different parts yes. of the day in different programs. Yes. And that must have been a lot of fun being able to, to go out and talk to different experts on campus and reach out to people and say, hey, I've got this question. Can you help me yeah, out? Yes. So we had the thing. It was called the Morantz. <laughs> you had mm-hmm. the radio with the microphone attached to it, and you go out and you, you know, that's what you did. You went out and, like you said, thought of a segment, and you went to the expert on campus for that segment, and they answered the questions that you had, and then you came back and you did the little edit, and that was it. There, there's two things that you've mentioned along the way that make me smile because I remember these things, and and one is that people would write a letter to the station and, you know, send it through inter-office mail or through the mail. So that's, you know, today everything is is texting or tweeting and everything. We're instantly connected, but this was old fashioned. We're going to write this down or type it out. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is, is the Marantz recorder. And I remember walking around with this thing. For those of us 
listening who didn't know that? What do you remember about the Marantz recorder? If you could describe what that piece of equipment it was, was just like. a strap on your shoulder. It was like wearing a purse on your shoulder, but the purse part was the recorder, and then there was a um, a socket for your um, the plug in the microphone, and you just to hit play. It's like a tape re- tape recorder, but I feel like a purse. I felt like it was like a purse tape recorder, and um, but I mm. found it clumsy. I didn't like using it. I found it very odd and clumsy and in the way. Yeah, it wasn't quite the size of a textbook, but it was heavy and it was kind of clunky, right? That's yes. that's what I recall. Um, I remember going to uh, you know do interviews at concerts and and other events and carrying that thing around and just feeling very conspicuous that it was you know this this clunky thing, but it was it was you know uh, recorded I guess decent quality audio and it's it's what we had at the time. Yeah, you know, I don't know today, what they're using now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure everybody just uses their phones and, and other digital devices. It's a lot easier. But this was this was a, a thing that you had to carry around. It was, like you said, not not that easy to work with. Yeah, it was a pain. And and then you had to give if I remember right, you had to give your um your Hostra ID in order to get it. Right. Yes, and then you had to give it back. When you gave the Morants back, you got your ID back. Oh, I forgot all about that. Yes, yes, I can picture the hallway now and wait. Oh, wow. Oh, man. That's that's a memory come flooding back. Holy <laughs> cow. Thank <laughs> you for that. Because <laughs> I, re- I remember that really well because it was, um, what was his name? He passed Dave Mock, who was mm. really one of the characters of the station. Very nice guy. Very into news. And he, I believe, one time lost the Morantz or someone stole it from him. I don't know what happened. But um, it was a big deal and we were all looking for it. And I remember he had given them his ID. I'm sure he got the ID back or maybe he even may have had to kick in some money for it, for the um, Morantz. But I do remember that whole thing. And they told you, you got to hold on to it and you got to make sure that you, you know, do this and that you take good care of it. You know, so. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love hearing Dave Mock stories. And that's vaguely familiar, losing the Morantz. I, I feel like there was a little bit of a warning, like, you know, this thing happened. Don't let it happen to you. So um, thank you for sharing that. Um, you, you've kind of alluded to this along the way. But I like to ask this question, um, you know, what do you what at 18 years old or, or maybe a little, a little bit older as, as a junior coming in, um, what did you hope? Hofstra Radio would mean to you at this t- at that time, and what did it become? Um, I was hoping that it would some way I could learn about not just radio, but how to write too, and how to write news, how to which I you know I did news too for a little bit. Um, how to write news, how to um, what really what radio was really all about. And that's what I wanted it to be. Like I said, I didn't get into it till later in my education. Mm-hmm. But that's what I, I wanted it to be. And what it became was a great place, not only to learn, but to make great friends. And and you know, and then people started being helpful because I don't think people were that helpful at the beginning, but they mm-hmm. did become helpful later on. And it was um and P and alumni that I still speak to today. So it became um a place that's always going to be in my heart. And I'm sure a lot of other alumni have told you that. 
Um, I'll always remember it when I do go to campus because I only live half hour away. I still just live a half hour away from the campus. I do go um, try and pass by the station or look in on the uh, radio station. I think it's in a different mm. place right now. Um, yeah. And I think it could be in near Dempster Hall or in Dempster Hall. Uh, but Dempster Hall was another thing, and that's where the TV stuff happened. And I would be in some TV projects too. So it was just, just became a fun thing, and it, it's a fond memory now. That's what it is to me now. Hmm. Excellent. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing these stories. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure and, and you kind of blew my mind a little bit there. I'm, I'm so excited to, uh, to listen back to these stories. Um, I have some more questions. I'm um, hopefully you have some more stories and maybe we can talk again sometime. Oh, sure. I'd love to.